This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. That's all the URLs, Jay, that we could possibly, I don't, we could have some .orgs, .nets, .ru, .au, .nz. .edu. We have those? .edu. Yeah. Dig Me Out University. Uh-huh. Well, we, we need to start a Dig Me Out University. In- Actually, DMO Union should be .gov. <laughs> DMO Union.gov. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree 100% there. I'm especially interested in this uh, this idea of an educational, uh, you know, like a Hogwarts, but for, for <laughs> 90s. You know, we put, we would sort, we'd have a sorting hat, but instead of a sorting hat, maybe we'd do a sorting hacky sack. Uh, where we kick this the hack around, we hack it around, and then wherever it ends up, that's the uh, that's the house you're in. Oh man, uh, ha- playing hacky sack on the quad, hacky sack on the quad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be a rock and roll wizard school. That too, that's that that's when you make it to 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 like <laughs> the next level of of like grad school. Yeah, but we call it rad school. <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, dreams aside of our of our dig me out uh, educational uh, curriculum, let's uh, let's get into this episode. And we mentioned uh, that the Patreons and the, the Patreon and the patrons are, are responsible. And, uh, and we've got another one, Jay, a returning patron. He's joined us previously. These are his picks. Try to find the common the common uh, ground here. Two thousand eighteen Guar. Scum Dogs of the Universe. 2019, Material Issues, International Pop Overthrow. Wait, what? 2020, Eels, Electroshock Blues. Okay. You lost me. Here's the thing. They all have drums. Right. Guitar, bass, and vocals. This is true. So I think that's the commonality. He found the pattern. He found the we found the pattern. Andrew O'Connell, Andrew OC is back with us. Welcome back, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. Always loved love talking to you guys. This is great. So based on that, I guess we're going to get a lot of guitar, a lot of bass, a lot of drums. <laughs> just a standard recording setup for this pick. Is that, is that what I'm guessing here, or am I wrong? What's your I mean, pick this time? Uh, this time, uh, I decided to go an unconventional route, uh, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Tom Waits, a bit of an en- enigmatic character, uh, mm-hmm. not strictly from the 90s, but this release, Bone Machine, is from 92, I believe. And uh, it's uh, he, he's an interesting... He is such an interesting character that I thought, uh, being known a bit of a wild card uh, with some of my picks, I thought this was uh, right in line with uh, 
a bit of unpredictability and uh, just something interesting to discuss. Well, unpredictability, that's probably the uh, the right term <laughs> for Mr. Waits. Mr. Waits, equally as well known as an actor, as a musician, I would say. I mean, I probably know him from more of his acting than his music, to be honest. I mean, I've, I, I've seen him in... Uh, let's see what is what has he been in? The Book of Eli. He plays a character in in that movie that I've seen. That I've seen. Uh, Mystery Men, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Two Jakes, which was the sequel to Chinatown. Um, he did a bunch of stuff with Jim Jarmusch. Uh, he was in Rumblefish, The Cotton Club. I mean, dude's got a. I mean, and he's in the next uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie, Licorice Pizza which the trailer just dropped recently. So, I mean, he's got like, I think he's got as many film credits as he does musical credits, which is a lot because he's put out a lot of records starting in 1973 was his first album. Hasn't put out a record since 2011. So how did you discover Tom Waits? Was it through his acting, through his music? So, um, strange, uh, because I remember, uh, I was in high school at the time. This had to be somewhere around 2001, maybe. Uh, And I was in high school and there was some English assignment where we were bringing in um, music to analyze uh, lyrical content. And, uh, you know, my my English teacher had asked me, you know, what kind of music I was into. And I, I, I don't even know what I really brought in. To the to to analyze, it was probably something like the Smashing Pumpkins or you know something along, you know mainstream rock that would have been on the radio around then. Um, but uh, she brought up Tom Waits, uh, and I'm just thinking, you know, I Napster music's free, so why am I? Uh, why don't I go ahead and check out what what my English teacher uh, brought to the table? She she didn't play it in class. Uh, but I was just curious, and um, through a couple random Napster downloads, um, I checked out a couple songs, uh, one of which I think was Going Out West, um, which is from this album. And I, I probably only got through two or three songs before I was just thinking, like, I don't really think I can do this. <laughs> um, you know, um, just, you know, maybe 17-year-old me was not uh, ready for 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 what this or for what Tom Waits was all about, um, but it was there was enough there, and it was on my iPod that because it was an iPod then, or it probably wasn't even an iPod yet, but it made its way onto my iPod, where throughout the course of say ten years, you know, I would revisit uh, this album, and I would get a little bit further into it every time. And I would find more and more pieces that um, were were at least a little bit more interesting. Uh, and um, over the course of a, a long time, uh, I've I, now his his he has so much uh, artistic output that uh, I would not consider myself a Tom Waits expert. Um, but I branched beyond you know just a few Napster downloads to an album to a couple more, but. Um, so by all means, not an expert, but I've made my way, uh, to exploring more of the discography based on my English teacher's side comment. And 
So the interesting thing, I, I was I don't really know much about weights as a musician. I know. See, that's interesting to me. Th that's weird, right? Because he, he, you, you mentioned his acting career, and you're right, it is impressive. I, I, I know less of it, but um, it, it's a pretty, pretty long sheet resume. So the thing I didn't realize is how many of his songs have been covered. Uh, yeah, that's the crazy thing. Willie Nelson, uh, Johnny Cash, the the Ramones covered "I Don't Want to Grow Up" off of this record. Uh, Tori Amos covered him on her album "Strange Little Girls." Uh, Scarlett Johansson on her album Anywhere I Lay My Head she covered uh, Bruce Springsteen covered Jersey Girl um, Nora Jones Bob Seger covered Downtown Train which I think is probably the the song that maybe people know the best of his in terms of covers uh, so, and here's a quote that I found. I, I'm going to see if you can guess who said it. Tom Waits is my favorite artist now. I completely resonate deeply with his music, his voice, and his lyrics. I buy everything he ever does. He's one of those guys who are totally at one with the creative element, with no excuses or concerns about what's going on around him. Totally uncompromising. Any idea who said that? Um, Dylan? Steve Vai. <laughs> there you go. I would never have expected Steve Vai to be a Tom Waits fan, but well, uh, on the covers, the reason I, well, I, I knew of Tom Waits, I guess just vaguely, but I became more familiar with his music because the Bullet Boys covered him <laughs> on their second record. They cover "Hang On, Saint Christopher," and it's a pretty awesome cover. And I remember hearing it, thinking like, "Wow, this is a really different." I didn't realize it was a Tom Waits song at first. And then I read the credits. I was like, holy shit, they covered a Tom Waits song? <laughs> like, oh, had, um, there's a Queens of the Stone Age cover of Going Out West, I think. And um, who's the Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist? That's last name is Klinger, Klingelhofer. The Josh. Fred? Josh. Josh Klinghoffer. Yeah. I, I was doing YouTube uh, research on, uh, on, the, uh, on this album and... Uh, like two years ago in, in like maybe 2019 or 2018 uh he did like in front of uh what is it like uh rock and rio or something you know in front of tens of thousands of people he's covering tom waits and the rest of the band is just kind of in the shadows so it's like one of those like he's he's a real artist's artist yeah. oh yeah so there are guest artists on this album Keith Richards appears on this record. Oh. Two members of Primus. <laughs> a member of Los Lobos. Here's the interesting thing. This has all been rip, um, reciprocated uh, on Dirty Work, the song Harlem Shuffle. Tom Waits is on that song. On the song, um, or on Los Lobos, uh, not Los. Yeah, he, he's on a Los Lobos song he sings. He's, he appears on a Sparkle Hostess song, Morning Hollow. Um, he's recorded with, in addition to that, The Replacements, Bonnie Raitt. Uh, who else? Dan Hicks. Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks. Um, Muse. <laughs> they did a cover of What's He Building in there, and he appeared on it. 
which I think that's probably the first time I actually heard Tom Waits. Yeah, I've heard that, that song. How did we hear that? Because I've heard I, that too. I don't know. It w- I, th- I it was probably on like a Halloween soundtrack. I feel like honest. I saw some kind of performance of that. Maybe. Or somebody used that as like their stage entrance or something. I don't know. I have a vague memory of that. He's even a, he's even appeared with hip hop artists like Atmosphere and NASA. NASA being um North American South American uh hip hop group uh is the name is that's the acronym. But he I mean he's played with he's played with a ton of people. A ton of people have covered him and uh it's just fascinating that he does have this sort of under the radar career but that musicians absolutely like Bob Dylan loves him. And, and obviously uh, he's been influenced by Dylan. So it's like a, you know, back and forth between the two of them. So Jay and I, we don't have a lot of experience with Tom Waits. So we're both coming into this pretty new. We didn't get any comments. We got a lot of votes over a Patreon, which we'll get to later, but people were like hesitant to comment. And I did reach out to the community. I said, Hey, is anybody a Tom Waits expert? Do you want to come on? They were like, no, not a, <laughs> there's no Tom Waits experts. So well, it's an intimidating discography to go through. It's uh, you know, when you're starting early seventies and his last album was in 2011, you know, there's a lot, I, I think this is his 11th this one that came out in 92, I think, was his 11th album already. So Yes. And it is the start of his... Daunting. It's considered the start of the unofficial um, apocalyptic trio. Like, there was a trio of records before this, uh, which were Swordfish Trombones in, in 83, Rain Dogs in 85, and Frank's Wild Years in 87. Um which, by the way, uh, those all did pretty well. Like, Rain Dogs is a gold record. And he's had a number of gold records, uh, at least. And some, and he's had gold records in other countries, too, and silver uh, in various countries. Mule Variations, which uh, the Black Rider followed this in 93, and the Mule Variations, which is one that I've, I've heard the name, but I don't think I've checked it out. Uh, that ended up sending like half a million in the U.S., half a million in Europe. So that's like a million worldwide. And then um, he's, you know, into the 2000s as records have sold less, he still pulled in 100,000, 200,000 in sales for record. That, they've been pretty spaced out. Yeah, I think to, to me, maybe that's part of what kept me kind of interested, you know, towards the turn of the century, you know, he was probably still pretty um, low key, but as the next 10 years went on, I probably saw a whole lot more, you know, maybe articles or something else reminding me to go check, check him out. I don't know where that, what's he building in there? I don't know what that's from. Anybody, do you know what album that's from? (laughs) can't i can't find uh what actual album that's what's from that's all right we don't have to know that now that we're not talking about that record we're talking about bone machine jay tell me one thing you liked about bone machine by tom waits 
it's a very unusual um in many ways uh musically which i, I mean i knew what i was kind of getting into vocally with him but i didn't know and i and i had this sense that there is um you know heavy use of percussion but other than that i didn't know really for a full record you know this is 16 tracks what i was going to hear musically so i thought the arrangements were really um unique and i'm not quite sure what other artists could pull them off there at times they're definitely very percussion oriented but the rhythms and the syncopation is very sophisticated and i don't know if that's like his jazz background or what's going on there but there's a looseness to it yet when he starts singing things come together and they start making sense but there are definitely portions especially when songs start you're just like this is just a bunch of tin cans clanking like what the hell is going on um and there's very rarely a full drum kit on this whole record, you know, 16 songs. I think maybe one song has like a, might be black wings is the most straightforward from a drum standpoint where you can kind of hear, you know, uh, brushes and maybe a kick drum in there. I bring that up because the record, I mean, it, it sounds full and it's got a great rhythm to it. It can be uh, propulsive at times, you know, male, I guess mainly because of his vocal. Um, it can, you know, be ballady, but not feel slow. It, it's just a really kind of puzzling, interesting way to produce a record and a, um, arrange music and to not have a, um, I guess have such, such like a ramshackle kind of percussion approach to it. Um, even like guitar wise or bass wise, there's rarely like a discernible chord sequence. You know, it's more of like, things coming in and out um for most of the record there are a couple piano songs in here where it does fill out a lot more you know the piano parts are fuller and more complete and there's definitely a bed there um and those take on a certain mood uh, i think black wings is another example where there's kind of a string banjo you know that fills a lot of the middle but i was really taken by like how sparse or open a lot of the sounds, how loose it sounds. And 
you know, I think that's probably mostly to serve the vocal. So I can appreciate definitely the, you know, this is a, these songs are, well, they're songs first, but then they're sort of um, arranged in a way to spotlight his voice as almost like a character. And I think just conceptually, that's the way I perceived it as, you know, the focus is on his performance of the lyrics and like what he's going to do with his voice. And then the rest of the music is um, just doing enough to keep things moving and create atmosphere, um, almost a cinematic kind of feel to it at times. Um, in fact, there's a couple tracks on here, um, like Black Wings, I mentioned that again. That sounds like I actually did a Google search because I could swore that song had been used in an HBO, like as a, you know, intro music for an HBO show. Um, it just has that really moody cinematic kind of Western vibe to it that when you close your eyes, you can see like an, you know, an opening sequence to a, you know, a Sunday night HBO series. Um the ocean doesn't want me again, very cinematic, more of a spoken vocal. And you know, what's going on musically there is it feels more like a, you know, a set, like you're walking into a world um, or a room where there's, you know, there's something going on, something just happened or there's a story being told. So it's just a really different kind of arrangement production. And then obviously, you know, we'll get into it more, but, you know, the, the different voices that he does and they're not all successful for me, but I think the ones where he really locks into more of a traditional kind of format where it feels more like a traditional blues song or a rock blues song or a folk song or like a kind of a dreary country ballad, like those I can connect with more immediately. Like I get like, Oh, this is this type of song. And this is why he's singing that way. And, you know, I can start moving forward. Um, I think the ones where it's, I struggle to figure out like what genre it is. Maybe they're jazzier or more like New Orleans influence sounding things. They take a little bit more time for me to, to grasp like vocally what he's doing. But yeah, I mean, he can sing if you want, you know, he can belt it out if he wants to. He can also do a lot of weird voices <laughs> and sounds, but uh, yeah, it's super interesting. Uh, listen, I hadn't obviously had not spent this much time with the Tom Wicks record. So it was, it was a journey. What about you, Tim? Journeys right is the right, uh, <laughs> word. Um, I think what I found so interesting was the sort of restraints and peculiar recording techniques that he put into this. So he recorded it at a re regular recording studio, but instead of going into like a recording booth, or or a room he went into the cellar mm. where, where it was a cement floor with a water heater which obviously got used as part of the percussion like okay. tapping on the water heater he also had a custom instrument built called the conundrum which was basically like this rack with all these different like metal things attached to it that he could hit and they would create different sounds so this is a very percussive record like you mentioned that is unlike anything we've really tackled i think that's what makes it so fascinating is that from a 
rhythm standpoint, there's just so much weirdness happening that you can't help but be drawn into it and and trying to figure out, like, is that a spoon being tapped on a water heater or is that a dr- actual drum? Um, there's a ton of really interesting, cool little things that coming out, whatever they're like steel guitars or there's some horns here and there. Uh, there's, you know, uh, occasional guitar that pops up most, I think most obviously on let me, or I don't want to grow up, which, uh, the Ramones covered and going out West has a, that fuzzy guitar riff. Yep. And then that field, the last track features Keith Richards playing guitar, which is not like a very showy guitar part. It's just sort of like a picking thing that's happening there. There's uh there's just so much happening here that I, yeah his voice is all over the place. It's very character oriented. This whole record is basically just like uh, it's very dark lyrically. I mean it opens with the earth died screaming and then we're all gonna end up dirt in the ground on the second one and I mean this is a very a like the fact is like considered a part of a trilogy that's about the apocalypse or, or apocalyptic. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, this is just a very heavy record lyrically when you listen to what he's saying. I did find it engaging enough that I kept wanting to listen to it, but there were enough songs where I had to like, after I got used to what was going on, I was like, uh, I can hear like the first 30 seconds of the song and I don't want to listen to it anymore because of him doing some odd lyrical thing or not lyrical thing, but vocal thing that would just take me out of it. Like it it would, I'd be interested, I'd be interested in the rhythm that's happening. And all of a sudden he comes in with this character voice and I'm like, no, I don't, I'm not, that's not going to work for me. But the, the pictures that he paints with the, with the lyrics are just, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. So, Andrew, what works best for you on this record? For me, there's a lot. Uh, I'll start by saying, like, um, uh, yeah, it's a percussive record. Uh, You're paying attention to just you're imagining what's making that noise. You know, sometimes it sounds like dropped chains, heavy chains. Sometimes, uh, yeah, rarely a drum. Um, You talked about the conundrum. I I, I watched a... uh, I watched an old interview with him on, I think it was Arsenio Hall, and he was talking about the he, that part of that was old, uh, old rusty farm equipment. 
that that, that they're hitting as uh, as their rhythm. So uh, it, it's interesting. Um, like I said, this my first listens. Um, I, I I wasn't able to, but uh, as time goes on, I definitely was able to appreciate more of it. Uh, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, I I think what works is that. Yes, it's a dark record. It's a heavy dark record. Um, so my next pick should probably be ska, but um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think uh, the lyrical themes of you know, there's a lot of uh, of death and um, darkness, uh, apocalypse, and such. Uh, and I think it's cohesive. Uh, one of the one thing that uh, I think really, really works for me is that how some of these songs kind of play off of each other. Uh, you know, you you hear something like uh, the earth died screaming, but then a couple songs later, uh, I, I almost view it as a response for Jesus going to be here. He's going to be here soon uh, as, as as a call to that. Um, or you see uh, something like. Um, you know, the lyrical content in going out West, uh, moving out, moving out West, going to get paid. I kind of see that. And just knowing he's an actor, I, I see that person, the the character in that, uh, that they are, uh, you know, they're trying, they're a struggling actor. They're trying to start a career, but then like two songs later, you see whistled down the wind and it's written from the perspective of somebody who's presumably in, you know, maybe, uh, in the middle of the Midwest who thought that they, and I'm presuming Midwest because I'm also Midwest, but somebody who thought that they'd leave their small town but never did, and they have regret. I grew up here all of my life I dream someday I'd go the blue-eyed girls and the red guitars and the naked rivers flow. I'm not all I thought I'd be. I've always stayed around. Seeing how these songs kind of play off of each other is really effective for me. And that's something that I didn't get until I really spent a little bit more time uh, with this record. I do. Uh, so we talked about the voice a couple, uh, his voice a couple times. So uh, I think, you know, for somebody who hasn't heard Tom Waits before, it, it, he has a let's just call it a gravelly voice to start with. But there's a lot of there's a lot of different levels to that. Um, and it, not to go to the next part yet, but, you know, I think some of the songs um, are a little less gravelly and then some of them sounds like he had gravel in his cereal for breakfast. So there's a little bit of range there that I think he plays with, um, which, which works for me because sometimes, sometimes, that uh, he can he can pull that back a little bit, or like 
even imagining what that gravel falsetto does in dirt in the ground, that, that really works for me. Um, what else? Uh, I, I think the production is interesting. Uh, you mentioned that a little bit. And, uh, you know, Jason, I think you, you mentioned Black Wings a couple of times. Uh, that, that one just seems like the production's a little bit different for me. That one, that one seems like it was kind of done proper and everything else was kind of done, you know, in that cellar. And uh, it, it's a little bit different, but, um, and just that, that going back to the percussion, sometimes you'll hear, uh, you'll hear just layers of interesting rhythm. And then, then when you're listening really close, you hear a second percussive layer under it with say maracas or something. Yeah, uh, for me, th th those are some of the things that works particularly well. I liked uh, I, I, <laughs> Dirt in the Ground, you mentioned that one. It gave me weird uh, vibes of like a band like Morphine. Um, when it starts, it has a like the the saxophone that gave me I, like I was wondering if the guys from Morphine might have played on this record, which they don't. It's a uh, uh, Ralph Carney is playing um, all of the horns, all the all the brass on this record. But I started to see the connection to like '90s bands in terms of being influenced by Tom Waits in ways that I didn't really see before. Um, and going out West, I know that one's gotten mentioned. Um, that was in fight club, which I didn't realize until I, you know, I didn't, I, I mean, I probably heard the song in fight club and didn't know what it was. And that song has been covered by a number of artists like widespread panic and Queens of the stone age, which I think that might be my favorite on the record. Cause yes, it is the most sort of traditional, but I also love that. That chorus just gets me like that. When he says, I know karate and voodoo too, like it's just, it's fun. Even though I know he's playing a character that's kind of a, a menacing character where he talks about taking off his shirt and like, you, this is a guy who wants to brawl. You know, he's, that's what he's singing about. Like this, this like sort of crazed <laughs> character, uh, but it works really well in, in that track and in a number of other tracks. Something I thought was really interesting uh, about this, um, apparently he started with the title of the record before writing any songs. He said for, for writing this album, he said, okay, if I have an album named Bone Machine, what are those songs going to sound like? And he let that exploration kind of dictate where that went, where, you know, maybe, you know, his Bone Machine kind of like 
a horror theme? Is it is this going to be Halloween music? Um, you know, and then Bone Machine. Obviously, bones have ties to to death and themes mm-hmm. along that. Sorry, Kitty James Dio's making an appearance. <laughs> I wondered if there if there was some sort of um, homage to uh, Bone Machine by the Pixies, like not or not homage, but like where that title came from, because oh. it came out Bone that. Machine. The song is from the '88 album Surferosa, which is four years before this, and I could tell, I could imagine Frank Black being a fan of. Tom Waits, especially his lyrical approach, you know, Frank Black has such a such a lyric uh, his lyrics have a lot of biblical references Mm. Um, and so and there's a lot of stuff about heaven and hell on this record and and Jesus 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 (laughs) Jesus there's a lot going on as far as as far as uh you know religious themes so i wonder if there's a, a connection to there at all or if, or if tom waits was just like bone machine boom it's in my head i don't know where it came from and he didn't listen to the pixies maybe he no. just saw um terminator 2 <laughs> that didn't come out yet <laughs> yeah, it did didn't it when it come it's out by 92 is it Google that. I feel like it was like 90. I was going to go with 91. I was going to say 91. See? But that, he had a, didn't have to come out the same year as Use Your Illusion? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Terminator 2 is 1991, July 3rd, 1991. Okay. Well. He was inspired by it. <laughs> this So this album is Aha. actually a... Uh, it's a it's a, 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 a an album that's all about Terminator Two. <laughs> there we go. We've unlocked it. We figured it out. That would be funny if he was like, "Oh yeah, I love Terminator 2. That's what that whole Bone Machine album's about. <laughs> what? Now I did find interesting in doing some a little bit of research is that Kathleen Brennan, who's his wife now. She co-wrote like half the record with him lyrically. Um, I don't. She only plays on one song, the opening mm-hmm. track, but she has a co-write on like half of this album. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought he's the type of person that would co-write lyrics. Yeah, I was reading a little bit, and um, uh, you know, there was there was ones that weren't going to make the cut. But then she came in and kind of encouraged finishing. Like, I, he said that um, I don't want to grow up was going to be a throwaway. It wasn't going to make the record until uh-huh. she. And for me, that that's my favorite cut on the album. But uh, yeah, I mean, she's I think she's at, has at least six co-writes on that. That was interesting. And I mean, like, I, I don't know if that's. Is, is that a specific to this album or does she appear in some of the later ones too? Uh, well, she's got three credits on the album previous to this, which is the Night on Earth soundtrack. And then um, 
two on Big Time, which is a live album. So I guess they had maybe they were dating because they at some point in the nineties they got married. Uh, she's got three co-writer co co-writer credits on Frank's Wild Years from '87, and um, one on uh, Rain Dogs. So did they give her a Grammy too for this one? It's a good question. I mean, I would think so as the co-writer yeah. of half the album. Yeah. Kind of, kind of would deserve it. I, she's she's a big part of a couple of really great songs. So I don't know. It's very interesting to think about this as um, th- th- this one won, won a Grammy in '92. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I didn't mention it. I want to get this in. Maybe maybe it's related to that point before we move on to the the negatives. Mm-hmm. Um. I think the other thing that's so unique about it and maybe what makes it Grammy worthy is that uh, while it's very wildly experimental and untraditional in a lot of ways, the songs are pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Like most of them are solidly written. They've got strong or great lyrics, but just as like songs, they're fairly concise, you know, um, they've got choruses, you know, it's, you can see how these can be covered by the Ramones and work out awesome. You know, now I am fascinated by like, you know, as we transition into the negatives, there's sure. so much sometimes to get through. I'm, I'm fascinated with, um, you know, how some of the folks who've covered him successfully, like get to oh wow there's a great song in there because sometimes it it can be hard to probably get to it um but the the bitter point is just these are all well-written songs at the heart of them yeah presentation is very unconventional yeah i think if you were to break down the actual note sequence and that there's a lot of sort of traditional blues yeah uh format or or and then and if you get into like how their songs are are structured they're it's a lot of verse chorus verse which mm-hmm. he uses it in such an interesting way that you don't get sort of sick of it no because you're so focused on what he's presenting yeah and then for the most part they're not i mean they're not long songs either so he's able to get through this is a 16 song record but it's only 53 minutes which this is a Soundgarden record. It'd be 73 minutes. So, <laughs> yeah. Which is not to say I don't want to listen to a lot of Soundgarden, but I, you know, there's a few songs over four minutes. Most of it's in like the three minute range. Some of them are only like, like two, two, yep. yeah, one. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's some short songs. Um, it's, it's some of them, like, like you said, are concise. Um, you know, with an experiment, you know, you don't necessarily want to drag it out. Yeah, he seems to good to know that he doesn't have to drag out the long, weird stuff or, or the weird stuff too long. Like he can right. kind of keep it short if it's weird, which is. It's an interesting balance of the sort of commercial with the artistic in that respect. Yeah. Yep. So the big elephant in the room, Jay, what doesn't work? 
it's Tom Waits sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all over the top. Um, I don't love his falsetto. Uh, I don't. I I started to perk up on this record when you get to track five. Who are we? Or I'm sorry, who are you? Because he starts that song off in that croaky, garbly, gargly kind of voice where you're like, what is he even, is he saying words? But then all of a sudden it starts to emerge like fairly quickly. And he starts belting out this chorus. And that's where I think I got pulled into the record more. I'm like, okay, wow. Okay. He can kind of get out of this. Like he can deliver like a really emotional bluesy kind of vibe with his voice and that you get more of that with like jesus gonna be here again like fairly traditional blue sound but you can hear like oh wow he can really deliver that so then i get i think through that then i started to become more open to some of the like the ballady stuff where his voice is a little weirder, but it's not doing a falsetto. You know, I sort of could walk the line then of like understanding like what he's capable of and like what he's trying to do. Um, but I think the first, you know, at least the first four songs of the record, I really struggled getting past the distraction of all the theatrics and the vocals to like really grab on to what the songs were. Um and I think overall, there's moments where you either the the presentation can get in the way, or and or it's um making me think of things that I, like in the Coliseum. It's kind of a great song, but there's something about the way that it's presented. It sounds like the villain in a Disney movie um, singing that. I can imagine, you know, a, a cartoon character singing that. It's so theatrical and over the top. It reminded me of the Princess and the Frog. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, Which takes place in New Orleans. Right. Uh, so it starts to get almost so over the top that it's a mom- moments comical. And I don't think that's what... <laughs> intent here for a super dark record um so i think largely that's where i struggled and either would take me more time to really get it uh, understand that material um you know to get used to it or to to grasp it um so that's what didn't work for me yeah, I mean, it's really you got to just adjust to the Tom Waits world when you're <laughs> when you're listening to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And refocus your your act. I, I I can see how this would be extremely engaging, like live, like how he is as a performer. I think I've seen him in bits and pieces playing live and engaging. And in some ways, it's not that far off from like Nick Cave in that sense where it's character driven and it's these story songs. Um, I feel like there's a little less variation in the vocal with Nick cave, but there's some Nick cave stuff. That's musically not far off from this in terms of being very percussive, especially like the later albums that he's been doing with Warren Ellis. 
Um, and I agree with you. Like the first couple songs, I was like, I'm not sure I get this. And then when such a scream hit, which is very bluesy, um, I was like, okay, I'm kind of, I see where this is kind of going. And it kind of hit a groove for me there. Um, and there's the occasional song that wasn't quite working as well, but on, with 16 songs, it's going to happen. Um, but there were like moments where it felt like this is not that abnormal, <laughs> even though yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's so weird. But I, I guess I had enough perspective from listening to blues and and stripped down, you know, listen. Listening to Royal Trucks helped me prepare for this in a, in a weird way. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? We've been preparing for 10 years to finally take on this record. Right. It kind of, <laughs> yeah, you have to hear a lot of things to get sort of prepared for this because I can't imagine, like, if I played this for someone who's only listened to, like, pop radio, it'd yeah. be like, no, I don't I understand. Watch their reaction. Oh, oh, I had it on. Uh... I was reviewing it and uh, had it on over the speakers and Courtney was like on the other side of the house and heard like probably 10 seconds of the, of one song. And she's like, my God, what is going on up there? She's like, no. is that the review you're, you're, you're the album you're reviewing? So. No, we, I, I had it on uh, the Alexa in the kitchen and my four-year-old daughter goes, Alexa, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, play Britney Spears. <laughs> Alexa, you're terrifying me. <laughs> Alexa, are you okay? Alexa, this is nightmare fuel. <laughs> oh, that's my my A behind me talking to me, right? Because I said her name. Mm-hmm. Um, what doesn't work for you, Andrew? Um, you know, some songs are are, are better than others. Uh, I think um, you did mention in the Coliseum. Uh, I think that one, uh, I think that's the, that might be the longest one on there. And it, it, I think it does kind of suffer from being a little bit too long, um, which might feed into that uh, Disney comical type uh, view or whatnot. But um, yeah, like a lot of albums in the nineties, this is what 50 something minutes. It's 16 songs. Uh, That second to last one seems like it's just mostly noise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a, a good maybe 30 seconds um, of kind of like static noise intro into all stripped down. So like there's some, you know, uh, some editing that I think it would benefit from. Um, uh, and, you know, we talked about the voice a couple of times. I think uh, th- there is a sweet spot for him. For me, I actually like his falsetto uh, in, yeah. in a lot of spots, but um you know, like in, in the earth died screaming that, that he's a little bit too much for me. I think that song is actually really effective in that it's letting you know what this album's going to be like. Um, you know, it's setting the tone really well. Uh, but is it one that I'm going to play alone? Probably not. Um, you know, um, I guess one thing that I would also say uh, sequencing, I just think um I don't want to grow up needs to be uh, not buried on the back end. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That's a phenomenal song that, you know, you're, you're 
you're 45 minutes into the record and you get to that gem. Yeah. So, so I think those are my, those are my criticisms, but uh, yeah, like, like a lot, you know, they, a lot of artists could benefit from having an editor. Yeah. I I thought um, I must've heard the Ramones cover of that at some point. But when I heard, uh, I don't want to grow up on this record. Yes, I was taken back by how buried it was on the record. But then I also thought, is this a Woody Guthrie song or a Pete Seeger song? Or like, this must be like a traditional kind of folk song that just we've heard forever. And then I looked it up. I was like, no shit, he wrote this. And like the Ramones covered it. And like, it sounds like a Ramones song when they cover it. Um, And it's kind of remarkable that it's buried, you know. 14 tracks into this record you're like oh my god that's just such a simple amazing song yeah um i was thinking um the same kind of thing about jesus gonna be here like is is that uh you know say alabama gospel traditional type thing yeah uh i i I think he wrote it yeah yeah i thought the same thing Yep, all written by by Mr. Uh, Waits and half written with his uh, his wife Kathleen Brennan. I think that's what's so interesting is that, and I think we've had this discussion with Depeche Mode, Jay, where you tend to like Depeche Mode when they get covered more than when they actually are than their actual songs, because <laughs> you're not a big fan of David Gahan's voice. Uh, probably. I mean, just the presentation. For them, I probably appreciate like when you hear more guitars and stuff, but right. I don't think it's it's not like this where like the songs are hidden. And I feel like on this record or with Tom Waits and picking on this record, you know, they're obscured in some ways. And and that's I think on purpose. Um, which is really an interesting thing to do when you're such a good songwriter. (laughs) Um, I I, it probably hasn't heard of, I'm sure you, you know artists hear it and cover them and he's probably doing okay from that but no i mean like uh like rod stewart turning downtown train it from rain dogs into a you know a hit single yeah like i i wonder how many people know that that's a tom waits cover they probably just think it's an 80s you know rod stewart song yeah yeah it's like, wild right so that's that's the kind of the weird thing um i still haven't figured out what album What's he building in there? Is, is on. <laughs> it's driving me insane. Alexa, what what album is that off of? There you go. Uh, so this did win the Grammy for Alternative Album of the Year in 1992. There were some big records released in 1992, and yet this was. I don't think that this is as big like of an upset. Uh, is like a Jethro Tull. This isn't a Jethro Tull winning metal album of the year. Like, I mean, it's still, it's Tom Waits. It's, it's not representative of like the, what was happening. You know, it's not Alice in Chains or Nirvana or Pearl Jam in 1992. Uh, although it was a 92 release, um, what would it be up against? I don't know. Cause those albums all came out in 91. Uh, 
I'm sure there were, there were some huge albums in 92 as well, whether it was, you know, Faith No More or uh, I, I can't think of anything else that came out in 92. Everything's 91. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I pulled it up. Uh, so Tom Waits Bone Machine beat out the B-52s, Good Stuff, The Cure's Wish, Morrissey's Your Arsenal, uh, Arsenal and XTC Nonsuch. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I I didn't anticipate those. That's a late career entry for XTC. Yeah, and that's the sounded like uh, the Grammys were just totally confused and like looking at eighties artists that. Had yeah, it kind of did. Like, <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we don't know what's going on right now. So, like, what were some of the like? cool 80s artists that didn't get any attention let's just nominate them xdc tom waits who do we or a c we have any I yeah, who do we owe yeah <laughs> who do we owe i mean I, it is a weird year because you have like obviously this is the year that like smells like teen spirit takes off but it's the, like it's up there with end of the road by boys to men and Whitney Houston's I will always love you <laughs> in terms of the dominating the charts. So it's a weird, yeah. I mean, it's a weird year um, for music in terms of the sort of the crossover. But I mean, this is the year of rage Mach- against the machines debut album. This is the year of, um, you know, the, the Grammys are always late, right? <laughs> They're they're not going to give you know pay attention to those most of those bands until they're you know a few years past their relevancy. I mean, Jeff, actually, this Jeff is the year of Dirt. This is the year of Alice in Chains' Dirt. This came that came out in um, September of that year. Yeah. Um. So, better question: Did he then use his Grammy as a percussive instrument? <laughs> oh, that's a great that's a great question. Great question. I'll ask him next time I see. Let's let's talk about our overall ratings for this record. Were the album better EP, decent single? We did get a lot of votes on this, even though we didn't get comments. We did get a lot of votes. Jay, where are you landing on this for were the album better EP, decent single? You've been forty-seven records in a row, better EP. You gonna break that streak? Well, I had a thought when I was listening to this that not I hadn't spent any time with this catalog, but something about it. I felt pretty confident that this was probably, you know, in the upper part of his or considered, you know, a a good record in his catalog and representative of him. I don't know why, but um, I guess my sense was this is for if you're a Tom Waits fan, this is probably a worthy album. Um, I am not a Tom Waits fan. <laughs> uh, I am Tom Waits curious. <laughs> That's That's a good way to put it. That's how you start. And at that part, at that point, I am going to say an EP. I I really divide the record in half. Um, I like eight songs, and there's I think eight songs that I'm still not understanding. Um, So my EP would be, and I'm looking at his the rest of his catalog. I mean, he puts a lot of record songs on his records, um, which is odd to me because. He just doesn't seem like an artist that like you really need 16 songs from at a time. He seems like more of a 
uh, short burst kind of person. Um, but uh, I'm at for an EP. Who are you? Jesus going to be here. A little rain going out west. Black wings whistle down the wind. I don't want to grow up in that feel. So more of the second half of the record and uh, some of the more atmospheric or experimental stuff. Uh, I dropped out. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much on board with you. I, I'm definitely curious to check out some of the 80s stuff that I know is pretty well regarded, like Rain Dogs and and other things that I'm just not familiar with, even though I know them through covers. Um, I do want to check them out and hear his original versions of them. Um, maybe I'll do that this weekend while I'm mowing the lawn or something. I'll throw it on Spotify and I'll put on a Tom Waits mix. <laughs> We'll I see. Think you, uh, I think you need to get good and loaded and just crank it on the speakers at about like 10 o'clock at night on Saturday. Just <laughs> with a with a nice a whiskey. Nice whiskey. There you go. See if the family appreciates that. Make sure it's outdoor speakers. <laughs> yeah. tell, tell the neighbors. Yeah, you need to go out and, I have uh, on Bluetooth, your patio. I have Bluetooth speakers that are the shape of rocks, and we put them in the on the patio. So oh I'll go God. out there and play rain dogs and uh, with my whiskey and a shotgun and just uh, just blare it. I'll just oh blare it and I'll, I'll take I'll, I'll just shoot at squirrels on the fence <laughs> the whole night. That sounds like fun. That, that sounds like fun. Andrew, where do you land? I don't wear the album. Um, you know, it, I, it, I have this. Uh, I've revisited this several times uh, over the course of a long time. Uh, and yeah, like I said, I think it would benefit from some editing, but um, you know, I think it's, so I, I think I hear a little bit of criticism on the front end. Uh, funny thing about dirt in the ground uh, in an interview, he said, you know, obviously the, the, the lyrics kind of speak for themselves, whether you're a, you know, doctor, lawyer, teacher or wonderful podcast host or whatnot. We're all just going to be dirt in the ground. But the the, the wheel started turning with the lyric because it, it actually it was his friend in LA that would use, we're all just going to be dirt in the ground as a pickup line to women in clubs, which brings just this extra creepy little element to <laughs> already creepy song, creepy album. And um, there, I, I think... So as you said, you start like, okay, I'm Tom Waits curious. I, I started that way. And then I find these little nuggets that I pick up uh, that just make everything more contextual uh, and mm -hmm. more like interesting. And um, in, I think most of the songs and lyrics kind of mostly stand for themselves. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm at a worthy album and it's just, a, I get it. Yeah. It's a bit of a private hole. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm happy with my selection and I, I'm glad you, uh, you were at least curious, uh, through this. I, I'm actually kind of surprised because I'm thinking like, I'm thinking with this selection going wild card on this selection. Um, I, I, I thought it would be really polarizing. I thought it would be, mm. either, I, I thought it would be polarizing of, uh, either were the album or n no EPs, but like. It, it, like there was a decent chance that one, one or both of you would go single on it. Wow. Well, he's, he's too creative to go single. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. 
there's it, I, in the in the wrong hands this would be a disaster but yeah. correct think, correct but the community were with you 90% were the album 10% decent single mm, you're right so 9 out of 10 votes so we have so a lot of Tom Waits team. fans not a lot of Tom Waits experts <laughs> I'll I'll work on it that's fine. It's a big catalog. I mean, like we said, this is the 11th record in his in his career. So, I mean, it took a while to get here. And uh, in terms of his discography, also took a while to get here in terms of uh, our podcast. This is the, you know, 10th year. We're just getting around to Tom Waits. And uh, I'm glad we did, because I remember when this record came out, just being sort of like, who? What? And uh, him always being a curiosity and in terms of just this weird dude making weird music and not really knowing, not really understanding it. So I'm glad we're finally getting our head around it a little bit because um, it's another aspect of uh, the 90s that I think shines a little bit of a different light. Because if you had told if you had asked people, hey, who won the alternative Grammy in 92? People will be like, oh, I don't know, Pearl Jam, Allison Chains. Nope. Tom Waits, yeah. folks. Tom Waits. So that's uh that's where we're at. Andrew, thank you for picking another interesting album. I can't wait to do whatever Sky album you pick <laughs> next year. We really haven't done enough Sky on this on this podcast for a 90s podcast. It's pretty pretty off i mean sky and and swing honestly have been underrepresented i expect all of next year to just be sky and swing alternate week to week you know one week we'll do cherry pop and daddies next week we'll do some uh ska mustard plug less than jake sure i I, you know what i i i'm gonna i'm not gonna hold myself to to scott i'm not a scott expert i'm scott adjacent oh no 15 year old me with scott scott adjacent you're committed now (laughs) Uh-huh. You're locked in. Sorry to tell you. You're going you're gonna to have to swap out that uh, that whiskey for what's the ska drink of choice? Uh, Mountain Dew uh, Red? Code Red? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. What do ska kids drink? Please, no. Has there been a second wave of ska? Like, you know, emo's gone through waves. Has there been a new uh, a new ska wave? I don't you think so. Think- you would think there would be. It's got to be the right. I think I feel like culturally you have to like reach a point where people can have fun. And I don't feel like we've been able to have fun recently. I don't <laughs> know why. I feel like things have been a little bit of a downer in the last, I don't know, five, six years. So maybe maybe when we turn the corner, there'll be like 50 ska bands that'll pop up and uh, we'll all be having fun and dancing around. Because I- the Go fact ahead. that no doubt it has never gotten back together should tell you that they know something about they broke up <laughs> they they abandoned ska after like the third record they they turned into like a, a straight up pop band so right i'm saying that's why i'm saying they were like the ska thing don't work in the pop world they ain't coming <laughs> back funny gwen stefani is also another artist that uh, my daughter told Alexa to play when she shut off Tom Waits. <laughs> Probably does she watch The Voice or whatever show she's on? Is that the nah, show she, she's on? She's four. She watches Disney Plus. Like oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. 
all my daughters knows about people is what singing shows they're on. So like she's a big fan of Ken Jeong because he's on The Masked Singer. Oh, yeah. And then he's on a new show and she's like, "Well, it's Ken Jeong. I love him." So <laughs> Yeah. No idea uh, that he's in TV shows or movies or anything like that. It's just yeah. oh, it's the hangover. He's just yeah, the guy who hosts say. singing shows. You should show her the hangover. Yeah, I'll definitely show my <laughs> nine-year-old the hangover. That'll, that'll go over well. Uh, Andrew, thank you again. It's always a pleasure. Uh, I, I want to remind our, our folks who are listening is Patreon is where you go to suggest an album like Andrew did. Um, you can also suggest over at digmeoutpodcast.com although it doesn't give you uh, quite the same thrill of joining us at, at uh, 10 o'clock on a Thursday. Uh, the, you know, this is, this is the, uh, the creme de la creme of, of dig me out. Uh, tears is uh, hanging out, talking and drinking with us, but you can do so uh, by joining us at Patreon. You get to vote in the polls. You get to vote in the, uh, worthy album, better EP, decent single polls for these episodes. You get to vote in our monthly album selection polls. Uh, depending on what tier you're at, you might help us uh, pick out a roundtable topic or an 80s episode. Those things are happening. Our next 80s episode's coming up soon, and it's based on a poll. And that poll is rockin'. Thanks to Gavin in Australia. He picked our 80s poll for October, and let me tell you, uh, you better throw some horns because it's pretty. It's pretty awesome. What is it? Well, I don't want to spoil Jeez it. it. Uh, let's just say that um, you, uh, if you're, if you're getting, if you, you feel a little malnourishment, uh, you might want to, uh, might, uh, and you don't eat, you might stay hungry. Uh, but then also, <laughs> okay, uh, you know, there might be some. Uh, uh, there might be some uh, some torture devices uh, that are involved, mm. uh, and then also uh, some celestial beings. Uh, wow! Three of my favorite things. There you go. Eating <laughs> eating aliens and torture devices. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Eighties uh, episodes exclusively at Patreon. As well as uh, you can check out our box newsletter, which you can sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com. It comes to you every week. Two new reviews of new releases from 80s and 90s relevant artists. And then our release calendar every week. What's happening with those artists putting out new singles, new albums, books, movies relevant to the 90s. It's all in there. And uh, finally, if you like what you heard on this episode or any previous episode, maybe on episode three. Maybe on episode 212. I don't know what those are, but they're out there. All our whole catalogs out there for people to check out. And you could uh, you could do us a solid by leaving us a positive review over at Apple Podcasts. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Dig Me Out.